Hello, you're listening to Don't Listen to This Podcast, all about 1,001 albums to listen to before you die, or allegedly should. I'm Ewan Gledo, and as ever, I, uh, as, I'm as optimistic as ever for the new year. Um, we've got 1,001 albums to get through. I'm sure we'll get through that in no time at all. Um, we're taking on Robert Dimery's collection of albums that you should apparently have listened to before you've shuffled off the mortal coil. And I'm feeling a bit tender because I'm 23 now, and that's basically, what, waste in the grave? That's, you know pretty much gone for me so i'll crack on through as many as i can but i do need guests to help me out with that and i am as ever joined by a fantastic guest i do have jason button with me once again how are Hello. you um, thanks thanks straight away for calling me fantastic that's a little boost to the ego to start the year <laughs> well, very happy with that. my new year's resolution was to be more optimistic and i think i've nailed that i'm being much friendlier i mean the first couple of lines of this podcast like it's, it's not started well here mate well, to be fair, optimism's hard to bring when you have to speak about Morrissey for the next hour. Which but I cannot wait to do. Very excited. We, we, yeah, I'm quite excited for that. I've got lots of little details. We've got the old good book of Moz with us as well. Um, how have you been, though? What have you been listening to recently? Um, other than this <laughs> recently, um, obviously, end of the year, it's been trying to work out what my albums of 2022 were. Blue Rev by Always, fantastic album. Couple of bits in there that sound like the Smiths as well. A couple of yes, in there. yeah, a brilliant album. Um, Hugo by Laura Carner, unbelievable, really, really good, and a bit of the nineteen seventy five as well, which I'm sure so you would love. So sorry to hear that, um, but that's not true now, is it, Jason? Because I heard what you were listening to just before we started this recording, and it sounded a bit like Morrissey's new single. Oh, that it was, was it was Rebels without applause. I think it, I, it, I promise it was research. <laughs> yeah yeah that's what they all say but no good right we've we've done our, our nice little bits and pieces but we are of course here to talk about the smiths is arguably the most famous album they did the queen is dead i know she is ewan but what about the album way oh back of the net we're starting the new year off right um she is yes uh, but The Queen is Dead was 1986 by the Smiths, who were and probably still are Morrissey, Johnny Marr, Andy Rourke, and Mike Joyce. Those latter two names, I imagine about seven people have heard spoken in, in conversation about the Smiths. Um, the Queen is Dead, you know, 1986. Uh, jangle pop, indie pop, and post punk. Um, obviously released through Rough Trade, who we now all know and love for having. Massive sales and telling me that the Frank Sinatra in the wee small hours is in stock for 14 quid, but actually isn't because they ran out two years ago and they've still not stocked it up yet. It's still on the homepage of the sale. Nonetheless, Rough Trader, a lovely company. Speaking um, of that, I'm still waiting for um, for Hugo by Lorcana. So if, oh, if anyone from Rough Trade is listening to this, let's sort it out. I, um, I ordered my Christmas present to myself in November and they got here two days before Christmas. So, see, perfect timing. Perfect timing, yeah. Got myself some Sounds of Silver from LCD Sound System, which I have since played every other day, because I'm in my big LCD Sound System phase now, so I'm insufferable and I wear green grocer jackets. <laughs> but I've had a little old sip of water. I'll read the quick insert from Robert Dimery's collection of albums, and then I'm sure I'll gift us all with a reading from the Gospel of Moz. Oh, I can't um, wait. Which I bought in a charity shop before anybody thinks I actually paid for this. Um... Like I just found it and I thought, oh, Morrissey book, and I bought it. So that's my excuse. Um, this this insert is what I would describe as wanky. So we'll we'll, we'll dive right in, we'll power on through. It's coming from you, that's quite a statement. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, what, what's the word for it? Not wanky, but... Yes, wanky, like, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty wanky, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
right, I'll do the insert. We'll all have optimism here. <laughs> Just while I'm on it, I've got my new Hawley t-shirt, so big up Richard Hawley. I thought we must mention a, a good musician in a Morrissey. Well, before we start talking about Morrissey. Yeah. Nice. I mean, that True Love's Got is an incredible album. Just getting that out there, because I've got to plug it. I interviewed him last month. Go watch it on Cult Following, or listen to it, or read it, or whatever. I can't remember. I do too much these days. Anyways, The Smiths. The Smiths were nothing if not prolific. The Queen is Dead, recorded in December 1985, but not released until June 1986 due to legal problems, was The Smiths' third album in two years. Fourth, if you include their superb odds and ends compilation, Hatful of Hollow. It was also their masterpiece. Do you see what I meant about wanky? (laughs) What makes the album all the more impressive is that the band were experiencing considerable difficulties at the time. They were without a consistent manager. None could contend with Morrissey and Johnny Marr's close relationship. Renegotiating their contract, rough trade owner Jeff Travis is the Mr. Shankly of the second track. And bassist Andy Rourke was addicted to heroin. He would be sacked and reinstated between recording and release. From this conflict came an album that is by turn thrilling, beautiful and hilarious. And all three at once in the case of the opening track, a savage, witty attack on the royal family set against a squall of overdubbed guitars. Marr's meeting of the MC5 and the Velvet Underground. There is just one duff track, never had no one ever, and even that comes as welcome respite after a breathtaking opening triple salvo. Throughout, Mars guitar is more abrasive and focused than ever before. Morrissey's dry wit hits every target, the self-pity perfectly phrased. The penultimate track, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, is one of the band's most sublime moments, the singer's melodramatic vocal chiming perfectly with Mars' relentless guitar. Their next album would prove to be almost as good, it would also be their last. A, a lot of detail missing, a lot of detail present, um, that there is consistently kind of a, an imbalance with these inserts that is like, oh, isn't this great? And then they forget to mention something else great because instead of offering something on the other songs, it's just five words about just somebody that was related to the artist at the time. But not as far as inserts go for this book, not too bad. I, I feel overtly critical of the book, mainly because I've read half of it and I just gave up. But, you know, as, as far as the scripts go, I feel like you're you're better suited to answer this question than me because you're a lot older. <laughs> but a lot by two years, two and a half yeah. years at this point. I mean, I'm 23 and my hair's receding. That's why I've got it down now. Um, what, why do you think I grew mine long? I thought so. You, you look like John Lennon just before he got shot. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that for now. <laughs> Imagine all the people. Anyways, <laughs> um, what are your memories with The Queen is Dead? Because I, um, like I, I only began, began listening to The Smiths in first and second year of uni, when I decided that I wanted to be as insufferable as possible to everyone. <laughs> um, you succeeded well. I know, I, I, I was quite proud of myself at the time. Um, yeah, this was um, one of the first Smiths albums I heard. Um, like everyone says, absolutely fantastic. I One thing I was saying, I'll probably keep saying this as we go on, I've never got the whole like, this, like hilarious, sort of, the humorous tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can skip them quite easily. Yeah. Um, beyond that, this is for me the Smiths' best cohesive album, but their best release for me is Hatful Hollow. I think as a collection of songs, that's fantastic. Yes, I mean that's a pretty good introduction to what Queen is Dead was. Um, I, I do prefer Hatful of Hollow, um, but to be fair, I, I've been kind of lukewarm on the Queen is Dead before I re-listened to it today. Um, where it's like I, I was adamant for years, and I don't know if you'll have remembered this because I might not mention it. I always thought Me's Murder was the best Smiths album. Yeah, yeah. I was obviously wrong, but, you know, um, yeah, Queen is Dead, you know, pretty good. It's for the Radio X and Enemy generation. Um, Enemy listed it as the best album of all time. 
which is high praise. It is, um, it's it's objectively maybe up there. Yeah. But it's not, you know, top five. No. Super standards. The worst thing I found is like I, I keep a log of all the albums I listen to in a ranking, and I've got it ranked at the exact same spot as the Rolling Stone list has it. Oh <laughs> which, no. Considering the um you know the, <clears throat> the, the litmus test that comes with reading a Rolling Stone article these days, not good. Um, but me and Rolling Stone have both agreed that this is apparently the 113th best album of all time. <laughs> um, which I suppose, I, I think it's, you know, a, a lot of albums, especially of like this structure, are kind of, it, it's hard to say, oh yeah, of course it's the best album ever, because it just feels very general, it feels very broad, and it feels very in, it, it's got its clutches in society all the time. It, it feels it, like a sort of album that could be the best of all time. Yeah, because it does. Of, yeah. Because of who it is, because of when it was released, because of just everything that comes with it. But yeah. there's, there's much better. Just out of interest, what's your number one at the moment? Number one what? Album of all time? Yeah. Uh, Pulse Different Class. <laughs> of course it is. I, I shouldn't have asked. The whole whole reason for this podcast. I'll tell you what, right? I'll load up my list and I'll give you the top five. Because gotcha. I think I've got a fairly... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the top five artists... So I've got Pulp, I've got Roland S. Howard, I've got Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, I've got Bob Dylan, and then Richard Hawley. So that's okay. my top five. Mm. Um, if I, to be fair, the top two albums are Pulp's Different Class and then Pulp's This Is Hardcore. <laughs> but we'll, we'll move that along. Um, number three is uh, Roland S. Howard's Teenage Snuff Film. Number four is The Boatman's Call from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Number five is Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan. Number six is Cole's Corner from Richard Hawley. Um, to put it into perspective, the very bottom of that list is... Uh, the, the bottom three are the 1975's newest album, Ringo Starr's latest album, and Mr. Blobby's self-titled album. So that's the bottom. That's the bottom. Because I'll say this, the 1975's newest album is in my top list of 2022. To be fair, though, you know how I feel about the 1975. I know. I'm sure we'll talk about the Smiths in a minute. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I have such a love-hate relationship with 1975. Because I've i seen them once. Mm. I despise Matty Healy. I despise their fans. I despise their first, second and fourth albums. And they're so good live. I hate it. Is, are they actually? I absolutely I got, hate I got, it. They're brilliant live. And I'm seeing them again this month. I got offered tickets to that gig you're going to. And I also got offered an interview with Matt Healy. And I said no. <laughs> no, no, don't. Don't get, you're going to get off for ideal or something there, Jesus. I went, I went to the poo instead. I, will you be queuing overnight, Jason? Oh, I, I don't think so. You and some of us work. <laughs> I, I work, I think. I don't know. I put my holidays in because I'm off to see Sweden in March and I've been given 10 days off, so I don't really know if I do work. I'd need 10 days recovery after having to see Sweden. <laughs> what, because you'll be getting battered around by 55-year-old men on Zoom, i afraid. Oh, the, oh the, the mosh bit for that. Oh, oh I'm not ready for it. <laughs> Yeah, you know me. Love a mosh. Um, speaking of mosh, uh, the Queen is dead. Um, <laughs> a lovely transition. Um, yeah, I think it's more or less the same for you with how I kind of came about this. Mess. I, I kind of missed the period where I was meant to listen to them at uni because I was busy listening to, if I'm not mistaken, the Hoosiers. Um, so it was a bit of a different period for me. You know, Cops and Robbers is a bit better than Hatful of Hollow. Um, <laughs> but it... it it kind of this album for me was very 
I don't know what it was about. I think it might be the cover. It struck me as very gothic, and that kind of put me off because I just linked it in with like my bloody Valentine and whatever the emos were listening to. Because I just thought like a, a lime green cover with a guy lying on his back, and I just thought, oh, that's a bit Bram Stoker for me. I'll, <laughs> I'll leave that well alone. I obviously, was incorrect. Um, and it took me some time to figure out that Big Man Strikes Again is actually from this album because I'd not listened to it. Um, it obviously, ever since then, I've kind of. The, the Smiths are a weird one for me where it's I really like them. I think they're great. I think Queen is Dead is probably their best album. I don't have any of their music on my playlist because I think of when I hear them, I'm either in a bar, a club, or just on the radio, like especially Radio X. Radio X love them, um, which is, you know, that's kind of the market for the Smiths these days is Radio X listeners, which isn't a bad thing. They're my people. But um, the Queen is Dead, you know, it's what, 10 songs? Eight, because you can, to be fair, you can lose Vicar in a two-two quite easily. Yeah, and I'd say some guys are bigger than others as well. Yeah, I was just about yeah. to say though, if you got rid of those two, this would be a perfect album. This would be <laughs> up there with Pulp and Pulp. So, <laughs> what's your top five, by the way? Sorry, uh, been, I, 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 haven't, I haven't got a list as such. Um, for me, I, because I, I, for me, best and favorite are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, um, they're different for me. I'm just, I'm just writing both accounts of it being different class. <laughs> um, I think for me, favorite album is I think the Midnight Organ Fight Frightened, uh, by Frightened Rabbit. Oh, okay, that it's was very brilliant. left field. I, I was expecting Joys and Active Resistance. It's that's it. It's always them two that like get kind of thrown about with me. Uh, oh. at, at the moment, I think it changes every six months. But and and just for the sake of appeasing Rolling Stone readers, what was your hundred and thirteenth? favourite album of all time. I'd have to say The Queen is Dead, but the Smiths you. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant, yeah. I mean, I've just checked there, and I've, to be fair, it's in good company. It's like one below Born in the USA and one above Frank Zappa's Hot Rats. So it's like, you know, pretty good company. Um, I suppose we should stop talking around the album though and actually talk about it, because that is what we're here to do. Or, I can tell you all about this lovely book that I've got oh, in mind. Bring on the book, here we go. This is Penguin, so this is a Penguin Classics. Um, the the reason for that is Morrissey insisted, and they just went okay. So it's I'll flick through and I'll just get us an extract. Um, this is an autobiography. This is his life, put to paper in four hundred and fifty seven pages. <clears throat> Mister Kringle is a solicitor wrapped in folds of heavy tweed of funny spectacles, a persistently offending theorist. Sounds like I, you to be fair. I actually. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. I can't even argue with that. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> All right, very funny. I'm Mr. Kringle. Um, have you heard the opening line of this book? No. Okay, I thought you had, and that's why I went for a rant. Here's the opening line. My childhood is streets upon streets upon streets upon streets. Streets to define you, and streets to confine you, with no sign of motorway, freeway, or highway. <sighs> Don't know what that means, but thank you, Morrissey. It's he's the sort of person who thinks that things sound grander than they are. Yeah, but like, or like yeah. wants to have this thing where it's like, oh, I'm glorifying the the plight of normal people. Like, no, you're Morrissey. Get to fuck. <laughs> no, you're Morrissey. But do you think? I think to be fair, that is some of the appeal of the Smiths, isn't it? The, the no, massively. Like, like the like pretentiousness of what they're of Morrissey, the lyricism and all that. It's exactly what what they are. It's not. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's a difference, though, between having to read it and having Johnny Marr looming over his shoulder, slapping his hands away from the control. If it, if it wasn't for Johnny Marr, the Smiths would be 
the most overrated, um, almost solo project ever. What do you think is? Is it something that rhymes with Liam Balaga? Ooh, because I'm going back to the best and worst of 2022 sort of things. Yeah. I heard James Bourne from Busted's oh yeah the latest album, and you it did gen- genuinely it's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. As <laughs> as a as an album as a collection of songs, it's horrible. Horrible. It's it's. It's one of those things where it could be so bad it's good and that it's funny, but you also know that he wrote it in a massively, you know, I think it's like a five-star hotel in the Caribbean, which makes you just hate it that much more. I think that, yeah, that adds a layer to it of absolute contempt that is held for very few musicians, I think, collectively. I think, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that I can't stand musically. Maybe the Gallagher brothers, but that's mm. more... That's more of an accepted personal flourish rather than something that's everybody hates them, you know. Maybe um, what's his name? Robin Thicke. You don't hear much from him these days. Yeah, he he, he had a weird kind of turn with that Paula album, didn't he? And it just kind of yeah. spiraled out of control from there. But yeah, you know, speaking of spiraling out of control, Queen is dead. Ten tracks, open and track. The Queen is dead. Um, what do you think? I think Amazing. I, the it's the open drums on this that just make it for me. It's perfect start as yeah. an opener and the way um take me back to blighted the sample from that kind of like goes out and then the drums just come rolling through is brilliant it is stunning and it's i think one of the big things for me with the queen is dead not just the song but the, this album on the whole is that obviously everybody knows cemetery gates everybody knows big mouth the other tracks that are like preceding it like um i know it's over like even frankly mr shankly the ones that kind of aren't played as much, like if you, if you think like Big Smith songs, you got This Charming Man, Big Mouth Strikes Again, Symmetry Gates, they're great, but then there's that exact same quality in these other tracks. I don't think there's any difference with the level of quality. I just think the difference is what people have attached themselves to, which is weird because a lot of the lyrics in this are, are really good. Like Morrissey's structure for for lyrics and hooks is incredible, but there is also a weightiness to them. There's also a lightness that's kind of just there on all the tracks is very consistent and I have no idea why people have sort of attracted themselves to one and not the other not a clue yeah and it, it feels like a, again going back to Radio X it feels like a very like these are the big songs these are things that no one's going to hear well these are things everyone's going to hear for the next five years and that's kind of it yeah which I mean isn't too bad of a thing because I mean if you look at the sort of longevity of the Smiths and how long they've lasted a lot of it does depend on The Queen is Dead not mm. her death but like the actual song I don't, I don't. I don't want to think Radio X listeners mourned by listening to Panic, but um, it's nice to think they did. Um, th- there's kind of the whole, you know, jangly pop as a genre. I think you you mentioned one of the best examples from last year about this is Always, which Blue Rev is incredible, and there are some Smithsy influences on that. It's what do you think of the whole jangly pop stuff? Because a lot of the lyrics in here feel quite twee, or they would do if it wasn't for Johnny Marr, who has an absolute masterclass throughout the entire thing. Listen, the thing about the Smiths is that it's essentially Morrissey and Marr, but the way that they do things are so different. Like, Morrissey is all, it's like you said, it's the lyrical expertise that he has. And then for with Marr, it's just the ridiculously talented, just ear for a hook and working out what works and just having something just click like that. 
And you, you couldn't have the Smiths without one or the other. Not yeah, and you can all. give or take the other two, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, it's like, it's sorry, my, my can of Coke almost exploded while you were talking. I was trying to open it very delicately and almost had just an explosion. Um, to, to credit, hang on, I've got to scroll up and remember the names, Andy Rourke and Mike Joyce, to, to their credit, are very good on this. Mm-hmm. Um, to, like, Obviously, Johnny Marr went off and did solo work. Morrissey did the same. Those two was it also the law? I've not properly looked into this for a while, but I believe it was the legal issues that held up this album was mm-hmm. their input was the money that they'd received from sales. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Joyce, because I, guess I, I, think, was, I think the contract initially was that Morrissey and Marr would get the majority as songwriters. Yeah, or a, a wider majority than. Than the other two wanted. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, I've just got it up here. Um, Joyce and Rock were treated as session musicians, as mm-hmm. readily replaceable as the parts in a lawnmower, um, and they started a legal fee against the other two in the mm-hmm. band. So obviously, you know, I don't want to sound like discourteous or horrible to Joyce and Rock, but I, I get it. I, I kind of get that it's like. Let, let's be fair. The core of the Smiths is Morrissey and Johnny Marr you can interchange the other two. And they've proven that by playing these songs solo with other musicians and made them sound pretty much the same. I'll say this as well. Um, clips of Johnny Marr playing Smith songs are incredible. They're great. You like, know and even, even up to this year, last year, like his his voice is, yeah. at times, better than what Morrissey would than what Morrissey sounded like at the time. Well, for me, anyway. to, um, Fever Dreams, his new album. Of not because I heard he released one in twenty seventeen and that was yeah. brilliant. That was really good. His new one is just Oasis album singles. Okay, um, but I agree with you. The the clips of him actually playing Smith songs. I remember when he did the this charming man with the Killers mm. in Glasgow. Don't, it's funny because everyone loved that Killers set. I thought it was dire. I thought it was absolutely shite. But that was the high moment. That and they also brought up Pet Shop Boys. Mm-hmm. And it, it said a lot to me that the my top two moments of the Killers. Yeah. Not killer songs. To be fair, what have they got apart from human? Well, let's be fair, you know. No, that Mr. Brightside song just now. Nah. Oh, no. no. uh, but yes, there was a lot of legal proceedings around the sort of not just the release but the profit. And by the sounds of it, they finally agreed to a 40-40-10-10 split. So that, that doesn't sound like an agreement at all. That does not sound like an agreement. No, um, but. Rourke, who was in debt, settled almost immediately for a lump sum of £83,000 and 10% of royalties and renounced all further claims. Uh, Joyce continued into the High Court and that's where it ends. Uh, It is estimated that Joyce has... Who knows, to be fair? It's not why we're here. I don't know the law. (laughs) But essentially, essentially, Morrissey and Ma are the core of the Smiths and they were kind of like revolving around them. I don't doubt that they had like real claim to the creative process. I don't doubt that they contributed a lot to that song or a lot of the songs throughout the Smiths. But when you think of the Smiths and you talk about the Smiths, you are either talking about, oh, wow, that's some great guitar work or, oh, wow, that's a great lyric. But I think that's with most bands though, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, like, yeah, just there's one or the other. There's not much. You know, like, just, yeah. To be, yeah, like you said, even with most bands, there's, there's always it's normally the drummer. Let's face it, it is normally the drummer can be interchangeable, and no one's gonna notice. You could get one of those drum machines that New Order got, 
and nobody would know. It's that way. You could set a tape away. It's it'd be a bit like Ian Brown, who just put a backing track on and did karaoke. Um, I, it's, I, 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 it's, it's, it's not designed. I know a couple of drummers, and they're very talented people. And yet, I just know that you know they can hop into whatever they need to hop into. Yeah, they know they're not needed. <laughs> like bass guitarists, it's like they're always off the tits. You know, it's fine. Write a passage. <laughs> I don't mean to generalize bass guitarists because the work that um, whoever the bass guitarist is for the Smiths on <laughs> on this time, very good, really good stuff. Really like your work there, mate. Brilliant. Um, no, I think on the whole, though, Queen is dead is you know pretty good. Um, it's it's a matter of kind of you know we we mentioned briefly uh, the two two song that I've already closed the tab on. Um, Victor two two, yeah. Which is terrible. It is, let's be fair, pretty terrible. I've I've never got the appeal of it at all. And again, it's because there's people say, oh, it's it's hilarious lyrics, it's that stuff. Don't know. No. no, like, I, I don't get don't, I just, it, again, it, it might just be me, I just don't get it. Like, if, if that's funny, then fair enough to some people, but it's, I, it does nothing for me. It's funny to the people that listen to The Smiths when it first came out and are now bald and old and just a bit grubby you know it's it's i think that's the, the issue i've got with the smiths and sort of the broader morrissey albums that i've listened to because to be fair as, as begrudging it as it is to admit morrissey's still a really good singer and he's still quite a good lyricist it's just a shame about his personal opinions um, which we are not going to dive into today because let's face it we're recording this on a sunday i really don't want to get into the yeah it's you know, after this, I'm going to watch the FA Cup and maybe finish my Bob Mortimer book. I don't really want to talk about the time Morrissey walked on stage, flabby and erect, ready to fight the Guardian. You know, I don't want to talk about that. But it's funny because obviously, a lot of the Smiths' work, as is the sort of period with the post-punk elements of it, it's very fighting against the system. The Queen is Dead as a song choice, as a lyrical choice, it's very anti-establishment. It's very anti-this. It's very anti-that. The whole album is. And it's just ironic. It's just weird that it's ended up like that. But you, to fair, with that sort of thing, you also saw it with um, a couple of guys from the Sex Pistols. They mm-hmm. did exactly the same thing. It's, I feel like it's just like that. So I think it's weird because I think you you mentioned you said you said it well with anti-establishment. It's going like going against the grain of what society wants and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. The way society's going now, being anti-establishment could either be that and pushing on towards you know more progression and that sort of thing or you can see that progression as the way society is and going against that yeah but it, do you, it's, think, do you yeah. think the smith's music especially on the queen is dead do you think that's like a form of protest song because when i think of protest songs i think john lennon elvis costello that sort of remit where it's very clear what the protest is about i mean obviously primal scream and the dex of midnight runners did a protest song to support the rmt strikes recently mm-hmm. The message is great. The song is awful, really bad. Uh, it's a shame because it's for a really good cause, but the actual song itself is terrible. Do you think stuff like "The Queen Is Dead," while not being, you know, you know, it's a, it's a club song, you put this charming man on, you put big nice strikes again, that sort of stuff on in a club, people enjoy themselves, but there is an inherent layer under all of that that feels like protest song. That well, isn't within inherently. reason, within, within reason, reason yeah. if you look at England in when was this released? Nineteen eighty six. A, a nice time for England. Exactly. So like, it's, they're not Billy Bragg. No, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's if you want to be saying stuff, then there's better ways to be doing it. 
if and portraying that message yeah. than what the Smiths are doing. It's just obviously it's it's good music. It's really well done. But if you want yeah. to make a a real effort to show and try and make be part of a movement towards something, you don't do it by having Vicar and a tutu. <laughs> on, with song on on one of the defining albums of the decade, like no, for for me anyway, no. But then again, that's maybe from my the sort of music I listen to normally. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I do like just to go back to Vicar and a Tutu because I, I I keep getting drawn back to that. I'm trying to understand why people find it funny, and I do get it because it's like, you know, it's Morrissey's lyrics to open the song are pretty good. You know, he's you know on a church roof, but like the 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 qualities of Morrissey's lyrics are there. They're present. They're there. Whether or not they utilise well is a completely different story because eventually it just burns down into oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, the Vicar in a Tutu. Lyrical master. Masterclass. It's almost as good as Iggy Pop's cheesy, cheesy, pleasey, please, which is on his new record, which is abysmal. Um, But I, just, I had to get that in there into this episode. I just had to. I'm sorry. It had to be done. The, the past 29 minutes have been me building up to mentioning an Iggy Pop lyric. <laughs> That's what we're here for, isn't it? Um, but I suppose, obviously, the broad appeal of the Smiths is Morrissey's lyrics, Johnny Marr's guitar work. Do you think- it, 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 even on Vikram Natutu, yeah. the music, oh, yeah. it's not good. No. To, for me, anyway. Like it's, it's, it does, it's not cohesive with the rest of the album. It's not anything like anything from Never Had No One Ever to Big Mouth Strikes Again. There's nothing in there that makes you think that Vicar and Tutu is going to be the eighth song on that. <laughs> yeah, it's very out of the blue. It feels like a record that's running out of steam quite rapidly. Picks it up for obviously there is a light that never goes out and then just slumps. It's It really does stop this from being a real perfect album that sort of Vicar and Tutu, Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others, Double Bill is... I, the... yeah, I, I agree. I was thinking this this morning because if, yeah. if Vicar and Tutu was out, Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others was out, and it finished on There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, it would be incredibly better. Yeah. I think there's also an irony to ending your album on a song about not turning off the lights and not ending. Exactly, and to, 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 yeah. I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes, like, track listing for me is, is you know, part of what makes an album great. Yeah. And finishing on There Is A Light That Never Goes Out would be, like, perfect. I think it's. I'd be really disappointed if I'd had this on record. Like I was going to buy this on record a few times, but then I've I've waited until now to re-listen to it because I've not heard it since maybe second year of uni. So it's been a while. It's been about four years. Oh my god, it's been four years. Um, <laughs> but if I'd bought this on on like a record and listened to it for the first time, and I'd heard the A side, which let's be fair is incredible. I think that's the strongest side the Smiths have throughout all of their discography. I think from the Queen is Dead all the way through to Cemetery Gates is pure brilliant. Yeah, you flip it over. You have a bit of time to think. Oh, that was quite good. I can't wait for the next side. Big Mouth Strikes Again comes straight on. Oh, brilliant! Back in action, lads. The boy with his thorn on the side. A minor dip, but you know you've still got that broad quality. You've got Mars soundtrack work. You've got Morris's lyrical style. All there, all present. And then you hear Vicar and a tutor. It's like, oh, there must be something wrong with my print. It must be a wrong song. But no, they actually chose to put that on there, and and end their album on some girls are bigger than others, which. I've got a little more time for some girls are bigger than others, mainly because I'm still on the high of listening to There Is A Light That Never Goes Out. <laughs> it feels like they're, they're trying to just squeeze those two songs in. It's like, ah, they'll not notice. We've just we've put a banger on there. Don't worry about it, lads. We'll, they'll, they'll give us some leeway. Absolutely not. No. 
Um, what do you think, though? Do you think the A side and the B side? I mean, you you mentioned track set lists there, like the, the importance of having it balanced. Do you think it is balanced? I think I'll I'll, I'll for me albums need to flow well. I think mm-hmm. that's a really big thing. Um, two really good examples for me over the last twelve months have been the new record from the Mountain Goats, which is brilliant, and uh, the Snuts as well. And they just kind of they kind of like peak and trough, and there's like really good rhythm that it comes kind of comes in and out of the energy that sort of thing and this works perfectly for me i think yeah. like i said before um finishing with those like the never goes out would have made it like however much better but for the most part perfect and having side two open with big mouth trucks again is yeah. again just ideal for me it was um i'd never been keen on frankly mr shankly when i'd first listened to it i just thought it was very twee very light and very just sort of pompous and a bit indifferent. Um, but now it just makes more sense because immediately going in, like The Queen is Dead as an opener is a pretty heavy track. It's very long, very bold at times. And to sort of have a bit of a break from that, even if it's just a two-minute track, is very nice. Um, obviously, frankly, Mr. Shankly was a criticism of the Rough Trade fella as well, which I didn't know until I read that insert, to be fair. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, as... Obviously, the two bits we mentioned, flip a few tracks around, you've got yourself a perfect album. Um, it has managed to last on a bit, even with those blips, even with our criticisms. Um, what what do you think the legacy of this album is then? I feel like that's such a broad question, it's impossible to answer. But Yeah, like the, yeah. the amount of bands and people who cite the Smiths as one of the like, defining things that make them who they are, that sort of thing, whether it be the way they look at the world, the way they dress, the list of music racing to, that sort of thing. Um, so what's about, I when I was in Manchester in just before COVID, mm. uh, we went to the Salford Men's Club. Well, Salford Boys Club. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And they've got all sorts of things in there about the Smiths. And you, when we were there, like you just have people come in from around the world, just like yeah. looking around, taking photos and all that sort of thing. It's like, I think it's only then that I realised that, you know, this obviously not the Smiths are big and all that sort of thing, but the connection that people have to them, I don't, I don't think I realised until... I actually saw people from, I think there's people there from the Philippines when we were there, Spain, that sort of thing. Like, full-on loving this one building. Yeah. The only thing that's come close is when I went to the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Well, the new iteration of the Cavern Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the only thing that's come close from, like, going around and seeing how people that I don't know, you know, see music and view music. And, try, and traveling to go to a specific place for this one band. It's. It, I'm glad you brought up the Cavern Club because, to be fair, I just feel like the Smiths is kind of like the Beatles and Manchester. I know that's a silly comparison with like what the Beatles achieved and what the Smiths did, but I feel like every location has that band of that quality, hmm. and it's the Smiths is very much that for Manchester. Obviously, there was something that happened in the nineties with some brothers or something. I don't. Yeah, know. what was it? Oasis? Something like that. Oh, yeah, no Oasis. I think they're called. No, Oasis. that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the Smiths kind of it, it wasn't until kind of recently that you realise it's like it is a very global appeal that the Smiths have. And there's always um, new people coming through, listening to them, buying yeah. the records. It's it's not just this thing for balding middle aged men. Well, I mean predominantly, yeah. but like predominantly yes. But I think well, that's the thing. I think that is a testament to how long lasting the Smiths' music is. Is that that. The, again, it's that anti-establishment thing we talked about earlier. That is still kind of relevant, prevalent, and because it's so prevalent in the Smiths' music, 
it just makes a transfer from generation to generation beyond it being, oh, this is a very good song. It's got that extra element to it. You know, it's like Murder on the Dance Floor is a great song. I love that song. I don't know if it's got the extra layer to it that would kind of like define it as something that pinpoints culture at the time, mm. but it's still a very good song. I feel like something like The Smiths has something that underneath. It's like Jedwood when you mentioned that on the Clash episode. Oh, yes, good times. It's got that quality to it. It's got that formation, um, which is which is harder to come by than I first thought it was. I mean, especially after I've listened to like iterations of the work that you know Johnny Marr has done since then, of what Morrissey's done since then, especially Morrissey, who's... Uh, have you listened to much of his solo work? I've listened to singles. I listened to I'm Not a Dog in a Chain, for better or for worse. Um... And yeah. Yeah, here and there, there's some there's some good stuff. But uh, tell you what, favorite Morrissey song, First the Gang to Die," fantastic. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. brilliant, brilliant song. Because it's, I think that's the thing. It's like for all you know, I don't, I don't really want to talk about Morrissey on a Sunday, but his influence is very like. I mean, he influenced the naming of Swede, you know, with Swede Head. Mm. Like that's pretty big influence to have on people. Um. But even like the stuff he was doing immediately after the Smiths, like Kill Uncle, Viva Hate stuff, really good because it's kind of just him experimenting, exploring a bit more. I mean, even stuff like Ringleader of the Tormentors, it's pretty good. Um, again, I think that all wraps back around to the fact that the Smiths are sort of not just a musical band, but as an entity that people look up to and kind of look towards and turn into their personality. It's such a prominent one. Because it's essentially, I mean, I, I think the, there's certain stereotypes where it's like, oh, they must wear Doc Martens, so they must like the Smiths, that type of thing. You know, I've got my pair over there. I do listen to the Smiths. Um, it's kind of, it, it all stems from The Queen is Dead, I think. I think this is kind of like ground zero for where it all started for the Smiths. Even obviously after they've done such great albums already. At the same time as well, the Smiths were, they were kind of like a nerdy band, so they were the sort of yeah, and that you people, get people for listening to them. Yeah, like rightly so. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very much like obviously going back to the Beatles and stuff. And again, not to compare, but the Beatles were huge. They were everywhere, and they like defined yeah. so much. I think the Smiths, obviously, they were fantastic, but they were only in. I wasn't alive in in the eighties or anything, but like it well, sounded no. But I mean, you said I'm old, but like Jesus Christ. Um. Yeah, it, it it seemed like a very kind of not obscure but different thing to like the Smiths, and I yeah. think that kind of again played into the whole anti-establishment kind of stuff that surrounded not only the band but the fan base and that sort of thing. I mean, if you look as well at what like nineteen eighty six, what was popular at the time, like Master of Puppets released Slayer's Reign in Blood, Megadeth, Sonic Youth, stuff like that was coming out. To have, I mean, Pet Shop Boys in the UK was pretty much the most popular thing going at the time. I think they just released actually, um, but considering where the Smiths found themselves, they're kind of like a little indie band that blew up, and I do think that kind of helps that there wasn't much about at the same time that sounded like the Smiths. I think I think I, I think I remember as well. They basically saved Rough Trade. They did, yeah. yeah. Which is thank God for that because I was meant to get my LCD sound system records. But... <laughs> I mean, you're not meant to at the moment, or I'm not meant to get Lowell Carnot. Oh, 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 well, you'll have to... I mean, to be fair, I did start... I ordered um, This Is Happening, and I was like, oh, you know, I might treat myself, and then I ordered their entire discography. <laughs> so, um, whoops. 
Um, but no, I think it, it it speaks as well that you know Morrissey and Johnny Marr still tour, and a big part of their set list, even though they've got enough songs to make up a set list full of their solo work, it's a lot of Smith singles, it's a lot of Smith hits, it's a lot of Smith deep dive stuff. Mm. Um, I think that speaks more to the, the sort of relevancy that Smith's music still has. It's because it's, it's, it's never just those are like that never goes out, yeah. that sort of thing. It's because I'm just trying to get up a Johnny Marr set list here. Um, mm. straight away, um, Panic, second song in. Obviously, it was still one of the bigger ones, yeah. but uh, um, How Soon Is Now, yeah, like there's they both do How Soon Is Now, yeah. To be fair, I must admit, I do like Panic, so I've got a real soft spot for Panic. I know it's like I really like Panic, but I think it's because I knew Panic as a cart the Unstoppable Sex Machine cover of the song, <laughs> that's why I knew the original. I mean. You might have something to do with it. I, I'll admit where I first heard it. I first heard it on Shaun of the Dead. Um, <laughs> in that little clip. Um, if, I tell you what, I'll give us one more reading from the Gospel of Moz before I wrap this up. You've, you've got time to think about your favourite track in that time. No worries. In the replacement album. Um, let's find something funny. Oh, here we go. Speaking of panic... I foolishly looked to Jeff for an explanation when the single panic stalled for two weeks at number 11, inching no higher even though it is generally accepted that here is the Smiths' first unstoppable number one. Johnny sends me a postcard yelling, panic number one. A common sentiment, yet once again, here we are, derailed by non-existent competition. And as wanky as that sounds, it does kind of summarise the sort of era that the Smiths found themselves in. They were competing with themselves. That's very difficult to do. The Smiths are quite unlike anything that had happened at the time. I can't say has happened since, because since then, so many bands that have come about have been influenced by the Smiths, Mm -hmm. and in doing so have either consciously or unconsciously, probably the latter in most cases, had extracts of the Smiths' elements in their work. It's unavoidable. It's, It's very difficult to remove your influences from whatever you're working on, and it, I, I do think that speaks to the legacy of The Queen is Dead, especially as kind of the, the, the launch pad for a lot of people. It's like the Velvet Underground. It was, um, oh, they might have only sold 300 records, but those 300 records sold went on to influence 300 albums, uh, 300 bands. It has that gravitas to it. And it's, you know, again, rather telling that, you know, Morrissey and Johnny Marr are still kind of not riding the coattails of it because they've done quite well with their solo careers, but are still very proud of the work they've done, even though they will never tour again together, which is probably for the best. Um, but what what's the best track on The Queen Is Dead, then? I'm, I'm, sure it'll be a, I'm it'll kind be of stuck. I know, I know you've blasted the second half of, the, second half of yeah. the album a little bit, but Big Mouth Strikes Again and Those Are Light That Never Goes Out are two of my favourite Smith songs. Um, yeah. Personally, I can't see anything beyond that that's anything better on this album. I'm glad, yeah, we've got the same favourite song then, because it was, <laughs> as much as we have spent the past 40 minutes blasting the second side of the album, it also has the best song. I will say that the consistency of the A-side, especially stuff like mm-hmm. I Know It's Over and Never Had No One Ever, I'd not really given much thought to those songs since I'd last heard them, which was the last time I listened to this album. They're really, really good. Like They are beyond that of a lot of popular Smith songs. I think I prefer them to stuff like Cemetery Gates, mm-hmm. I think I prefer it to a lot of stuff on Strange Ways and maybe most of me is murder. And I've, I think as well, they sit well in that first size. I think there's a lot of bands who will 
write slow songs and then stick them at the end of the side of the second side. Yeah. And just as oh, like, yeah. a, oh, we can do this as well, but you know, give or take it. No, they're like, they're kind of like opening up that side of what they are. And fair play yeah. to them, it works really well. It works really well. And then they go and say, well, hang on a second, everybody. We've got a song about a vicar and a tutu. And then it all falls away. Um, no, I, I, I imagine this is a question that we already know the answer to. But is there a replacement album for this one? Is there anything no, you want to... not really. In, in terms of a cohesive, like, full release, no. Yeah. I, no. St- I think I'll, I'll go back to the start and say, Hatful of Hollow is my yeah. favourite Smiths release. But this is my favourite Smiths, and easily the best Smiths actual yeah. studio record, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is one of many Smiths albums on the list, and I'm not surprised. Um, also, to be fair with the Smiths, with you saying that, they were around for five years. They didn't oh, do yeah. anything like, beyond that. And yet the imprint they have on the British music scene mm-hmm. is terrifyingly big. It's it, it's a generational thing. It's amazing how it's been passed down and how it's still remained cool. You know, I mean... You look at people that wear Queen t-shirts and think, oh God, they've got nothing interesting to say. And it's, you know, that is true, let's be fair. Nobody that wears a Queen t-shirt has anything interesting to say about music, sound, books, or anything. Um, But it does go to show that the Smiths, while in that relevancy, and rightly so, they were only around for five years. Mm. It's mad. The the consistency that they had in those five years is insane. It's it's very amazing to me that you can open up with an album as good as the self-titled one. Like I, I think I need to go and listen to it again because, again, it's one of those albums where it's like not the most well-known Smith songs. You know, nobody's really clamouring to hear The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. It's like, oh, get that one, lads. It's But, you know, it's still got What Difference Does It Make, uh, Reel Around the Fountain. It's amazing. Amazing how much they did. But I suppose we'll end it there because we're going to start sounding like Morrissey in a minute. Not in a racist sense, but in a. I was about to say, I, I'm, I don't don't paint me with that with that part, yeah. I, I meant more in the sense of wankery for the Smiths. Yeah, um, that's good. Yes, but I suppose that'll end us there. Where, where can people find you on the old social media these days? Do you um, mainly Twitter. At, yeah, mainly Twitter at Jason B underscore Journo. Um, I tweet ramblings about things that no one else cares about. So why not give me a go? You'll tweet about Jedward every now and then, I'm sure. Yeah, now and again. Mandatory. Um, now you can find me in all the usual places as well. Cult following, Daily Star, Clapper, usual places. This podcast, obviously, on Twitter as well, at you and Gledo, E-W-A-M-G-L-E-A-D-O-W. You get don't listen to this on Twitter as well, which is in my bio. It's the LTT pod, but it's going along the bottom of the screen now. Look at that. Wow. Isn't iMovie amazing? Um, that'll do us, though. I think next week... I don't actually know what next week is. It might be Velvet Underground with someone. Um, But until I've solidified those plans, take care.